Well, good morning, Faith Church. Y'all having a good day so far? Man, welcome to Faith Church. If you do not know me, my name is Adam. I'm the executive pastor here. And it's truly my honor to get to spend this morning with you. So whether you're here in Florence, if you're joining us from Lawrenceburg, Shoals, anywhere online around the world, welcome. Florence, would you put your hands together? Welcome everybody at all of our campuses. Love you guys. Listen, we are in week three of a series we started just a couple weeks ago called Game Day, where we have been taking the different aspects and elements of a, a football game experience, and we've been paralleling those experiences with what life looks like and what operations look like here in the church world. So if you'll remember week one, Pastor Steve talked about this idea that the fans are in the stands, right? It's the fanatics. It's, the, it's those of you that buy the tickets and you buy the merch and you wear the apparel, you rock the hats, you, you know the players, you know the stats, and you, you sit in the stands and you celebrate what's happening on the field, right? You love talking about it. You love posting about it. And we need fans. Fans are important to the game day experience. So the fans are in the stands. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about the idea that, that the coach is in the box, right? That we all have a coach, that somebody is calling the plays of your life. And Pastor challenged us with that idea of who's calling your plays. Ultimately, we understand that, that we should be basing our game plan according to God's game plan, right? That he calls the plays, not us. And when we get in trouble is when we decide that we want to run our own plays. We want to do our own thing. We want to call our own number. When God said, you're going to do something different, you're going to run this route, you're going to hit that hole, and you say, I've got a better idea, God. And typically, it doesn't end up well for you, right? The cool thing that, that I always appreciated growing up playing sports was I remember back, and I never got in trouble for running the play the coach called, even if it didn't yield the results that he wanted to happen, right? But every single time that I didn't do what I was told, and he told me to do one thing, and I ran a different play because I thought that was a better idea, wasn't where I was supposed to be in the play because I thought that fit better, Almost every single time, I got in trouble and it was my fault, right? We've got a coach that's in the box who knows more, sees more, understands more about the game of life and where you need to be. So who's calling the plays of your life? Today, we are going to tackle this idea that the committed are in the concessions. Because if I'm looking at a game day experience, everybody knows one of the most important aspects of any game day experience is the concession stand, right? You cannot have a good game day experience without the concession stand. So I want to take a quick poll before we go any further, because I think there's some important things you need to understand. Don't vote yet. Campuses, you help me out. I'm going to give you three options, and then I want you to vote if you get one item from a concession stand. I'm curious the heart and minds of our people, right? I'm going to give you three options, and by show of hands, you're going to vote for your one item. If you're going to a concession stand, this is what you choose. This is what you're going for. First option is you want the like made on site option. This is the grilled burgers, this is the hot dogs, this is the nachos, right? Like made in house, you can smell the smoke from the grill when you're sitting in the stands, right? That's option one. Option two is you're going for like the sweet options. Maybe it's like prepackaged candy, you're the, you're the funnel cake, right? Fried Oreo person, that's you, you're this camp. And over here we have like the third party brought in vendors, right? So this is you want the Papa John's pizza or the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, right? So you went to concession stand, but you got another vendor's food and you just paid three times as much for it because it was at a concession stand, right? So that's over there. So 
If you would be in camp one, raise your hands. If you're going on site, I want the, yeah, see, this is my people. What is it about concession stand hamburgers that there's nothing that tastes like that? Like, you know it's the cheapest meat. It's Uncle Joe who, it's not like he's a culinary expert running the grill, but there's something that just tastes better about a concession stand hamburger. I don't know. Okay. If you're here and you're going the candy sweet option, raise your hand. Okay. There's more of you here than first service. All right. Who's going, who's going third party vendor? Anybody? Some of y'all, right? You just like the corporate America just $5 for a piece of pizza. Okay, I get it. That's good. That's good. The good news is whatever you choose, whichever direction you go, there is no wrong answer because the concession stand is pivotal to the game day experience. And just like the concession stand and the concession stand workers are so important to the game day experience, here in the church world, we have our own concession stand workers, those people that, that get here early that stay late, that work hard, that sacrifice, they, they sweat sometimes, it's hot, right? They don't, they don't always wanna do it, but they sacrifice for their team because nobody loves their team like the concession stand workers. And today, we're all about celebrating the volunteers in the church. So I know we do it every single week, typically on the back end of service, but, but would you help me put your hands together for all the volunteers that help make what happens at all of our campuses happen every single week? Listen. They're helping you get a parking spot, helping you get a seat, right? They made your coffee in the lobby. Some of y'all, they're watching your baby kids back in the back right now. Y'all got free childcare so y'all can come and sit in the service, right? Right? It's all about that volunteer. And some of y'all, I catch you, don't think we don't see this. Some of y'all come to two services, not because you want more Jesus, but you want another hour of free childcare. Yep. Yep, and we have called some of you trying to pull back and drop your kids off and go back to your car so you can leave and go hit Target and do your grocery shopping while we watch your kids. That has happened, believe it or not. Don't do that. But if you do, we have some incredible volunteers that make the game day experience happen, and truly, it would not happen without them. It's those concession stand workers, right? We love the stories in Scripture about the heroes of faith that we like to call them, right? But did you know that scripture is filled with stories of the concession stand workers? It's the behind the scenes, people who, who love the team, who give, who serve, who never get celebrated. We don't sing songs about them. They're not celebrated. They don't have books in the Bible written about them. But over and over and over again in scripture, you see stories of the committed volunteers who are part of some of the most significant moments in human history, specifically when it comes to the gospel. And so today we're gonna look at a story just like that. If you're taking notes, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 19. We're gonna read from verses 28 to 38. So picking up verse 28, here's what scripture says. It says, after telling this story, Jesus has just kind of shared the story um, of Zacchaeus and the tree, if you want to know what story we're talking about, right? After telling the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. He said, go into the village over there, and as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. 
So verse 32, so they, they went, they found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest of heavens. Today, I want to pull out five um, observations, if you will, five things that stood out to me as I was preparing for this message, reading this story. If you're taking notes, write the first one down. It's interesting to me, number one, that, that no names are given in this story. We don't know who any of these people are. It's interesting that Typically, when you're following through the stories of the Gospels, when the disciples are part of something big happening, normally you know what disciples are involved. You know, was it Peter? Was it, was it John? Was it James? Like, who, who was a part of this experience? But it's interesting in this story that all we know is that Jesus sent two disciples. Now, we don't know if it was two of the 12. Was it two just other followers that were in the crowds following Jesus? Were never given their names. We also don't know the names of, of the owners of the donkey, right? We don't know who these people are. No, we know they're, they're just normal people going about their everyday normal lives. I'm sure they had jobs. They may have had kids or grandkids. They probably had stress in their life. Maybe they had medical issues they were dealing with, business issues, right? Relational, financial struggles. They were people just like you, just like me, everyday average normal people. And yet we find them in this story. And it's interesting as I was reading it that like, why would we never get their name? Like put yourself in their shoes, right? Maybe it's just me and maybe I'm the only one honest enough in church today. But if, if I'm the owners of this donkey, I would want my name mentioned in the story, even if it was just briefly. Like I would want people to know that was my donkey, right? Jesus... Hey, see that donkey he's riding on everybody? That's my donkey. That's mine. I, I raised it. It was it's pretty important, you know. I, that's the blue ribbon donkey, you know. Jesus, it's Jesus' donkey. It's my donkey, right? I would, I would want the credit. Like, you don't have to, like, celebrate me and my, my generosity, but, I mean, at least celebrate my donkey, right? This is the most famous ride in donkey history, and... We don't even celebrate the fact that I own the donkey, right? It's always funny. I like, I'm not a rodeo guy, clearly, but like I like watching the rodeos, but it's always funny how you get like the cowboys that celebrate that they rode the bull, but then you also get the owners of the bull and they always, PBR always talks about it. Here's the owners of the bull. And I'm like, they did nothing. Why do they get belt buckles? And why do they get trophies? They didn't buck the cowboy off. They didn't do anything. They just owned a bull, but we celebrate them. In this story, we have no idea who these owners are. We don't know their names. We don't know where they came from, what their profession is, where, what's their lot in life, how much money do they make, how much do they not. They're completely uncelebrated. And it's interesting as I think through that, I wonder how many, how many of you if put in that same situation would be okay not being celebrated, 
right? We have volunteers, people who give. And, you know, there used to be a time in our church when we were much smaller as we've grown throughout the years and now we're multiple states, multiple campuses. And there used to be a time where we knew almost all of our volunteers, if not all the volunteers. We knew your name. We knew where you were from. We knew your kids. And if we ran into you at a restaurant or in Walmart, we'd say, hey, how are you, Joe? Hey, hey, Kim, how are you? It's good to see you. How's things been going, right? Now that we've grown and now that we've expanded like we have and God has blessed, I'll be honest. When you sit in those seats and you see Pastor Steve up here every single week, it's really easy for you to know him. It's really hard for him to know all of you in all of our campuses from wherever it is. But it's crazy how I still hear stories and you'll hear people that, that'll get upset when, when you run into Pastor Steve and like, oh, he didn't even acknowledge me. Didn't even know who I was. Didn't celebrate me. I've been serving here for, for six months and he just walked by me like he didn't even, didn't even care. I'm gonna quit serving. This ain't even worth it. Like what? They didn't say my name from stage. They didn't clap for me, right? If I'm not being celebrated, they clearly just don't appreciate me enough, so I'm gonna go do something else. And we hear stories like that, and you don't have to be honest with me, but if you've ever had those thoughts, you at least need to be honest with yourself. And if you've ever found yourself in that place questioning, why, why would I wanna serve? Why would I wanna volunteer when they don't appreciate it, they don't celebrate it? First question I would ask you is why are you serving in the first place? Were you serving for the pat on the back? Were you serving to be seen? When I ask you why are you serving, the next question I would ask you would be who were you serving? Were you serving Pastor Steve so that, that he would be proud of you and he would see you on social media and tag you and man, you're so awesome, thank you. And that, that gave you the pride and satisfaction of doing something, so that's why you did it? Because if either one of those things are true, guess what? You were serving and giving for the wrong reasons. Jesus actually warned us of this. Matthew chapter six, verse one, he said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So you don't serve to be seen. You don't give so that somebody else will give you accolades and praise back. That's not the point. And I think that's why we don't know the names of the disciples we don't know the names of, of the owners of this donkey because you know what? That's not important. It's not part of the story because they're gonna get their reward. We don't have to celebrate them. Second thing that stands out to me as I read through this story is interesting that, that Jesus chose a donkey. Could have chosen anything, right? Now, as you look back on this story and as you read through scripture and like when these books were written, you know, initially they didn't have chapters and verses and they sure weren't broken up into headings with different titles. But for many of you, if you're following through in scripture, you probably saw a title above this verse in Luke that says, the triumphal entry of Jesus. That's what they've termed this as now. When he was coming into town, it was just Jesus coming into town, right? It wasn't, wasn't the triumphal entry. But as we talk about the game day experience, to me, there's nothing more exciting, right? There's that one part of the game when the team's getting ready to take the field. The team's in the locker room, they've come out into the tunnel, right? They get the bus through up, they get the smoke rolling, the haze is going, and every single team has their pregame rituals or traditions. They've got the music that they play, right? Whatever's happening. If you've been to Jordan-Hare, right? I'm as Alabama fan as they come, but there's something pretty awesome when Spirit the Eagle like flies over the stadium, 
Like, that's just cool. You got to admit, right? The eagle flies over the stadium like, wow, that's crazy. And then the team runs onto the field. For a Lawrenceburg campus, if you've ever been to Neyland Stadium, right? And the band and the cheerleaders form the T on the stadium and the team runs through and there's over 100,000 people screaming to the top of their lungs. Nothing like it. Bryant Denny, you, you go to a Bama game, especially at night now that we've added all the lights and all the craziness, right? And bands on the field, everybody's getting pumped up, thunderstruck comes on, ACDC's just blaring. You know, everybody starts clapping, getting hyped, Bear Bryant's voice booming over the intercoms and all of a sudden, Nick Saban and the team run out and the band strikes up into the fight song and everybody loses their mind. The team's coming onto the field. Well, as you look in the story of scripture, this was Jesus running onto the field moment. This was the moment. And the events that would transpire after this would become the most significant week-long series of events in all human history. They would ultimately lead to Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. It all started by him choosing his walkout. This is how I'm, this is how I'm gonna run onto the field. It's not gonna be lights and smoke and loud music and... I'm gonna choose a donkey. He could have chosen any way he wanted to come into the city. The people in this time, first century, would have been very familiar with the Caesars of the day riding around on their ornate chariots, right? It's much more comfortable. It's much more easily seen and celebrated. He could have chosen a chariot pulled by the biggest, strongest horses of the day. He could have chosen a horse, much bigger, stronger, much more beautiful than a donkey, right? But you see, he chose a donkey. See, symbolically, the reason he did that, not just from the fulfilling prophecy standpoint, but symbolically in the first century ancient world, horses were seen as animals of war, right? Because wars were fought on horseback. So war horses were known for, for aggressiveness. They were big, they were strong, they were fast. On the other end of that spectrum, donkeys were seen and represented peace and humility. A donkey was known as a, a sign of peace. Many times, treaties would be enacted. And you've seen like in old movies and stuff where people would wave white flags as surrender, right? Like, hey, stop the fighting. Let's negotiate. We need to have a conversation. Most often, as you study back through history, what would happen would be those messengers wouldn't ride up on a horse. Because again, that scene is aggressive, right? People would have their swords and shields out if you come towards me on a horse. So messengers bringing peace treaties would ride donkeys. They're not as fast, they're not as strong. It's, it's much more let your guard down and let's, let's have a conversation. That's what it meant symbolically. The donkey was seen as an animal of peace, humility. And that's what Jesus was trying to communicate. That's how I'm coming. Practically, let's think about it. What were, what were donkeys in, in the ancient world? First off, donkeys were used personally. The donkeys were just the minivan, like Honda Civic, like Ford Ranger of the ancient world, right? People would use a donkey just for personal transport. You need to run to the market. You need to go see a friend or a family member. Like a donkey was a very practical animal that, that people would own that they would use in their everyday life. It's just... It's just like your vehicle out front right now. It's just what they used. Second thing donkeys were used for is donkeys were used professionally. 
Donkeys are seen as working animals, right? Many of you know this today. We're in the South. Donkeys were, were plow animals. Often you would see them hooked up to plows working in the fields because they're strong and they're steady. And people would use them. If you were farmers, if you were planters, you would, you would use a donkey to provide for your family because it helped you do your profession. It helped you work. Third thing people would use donkeys for is donkeys were used for protection. Again, we don't know the owners of this donkey. We don't know their names. We don't know what they did for a living. Maybe they were um, farmers. Maybe they did plant crops and these donkey that, that was given to Jesus. Maybe it was kind of like a tractor, right? Maybe that's what it did. Maybe, maybe they were herdsmen. Maybe they were shepherds because we know, again, in the South that donkeys, one of the reasons is they're very territorial. A donkey, farmers will tell you that one donkey put in a pasture can protect up to 300 head of livestock, whether that's cattle, sheep, goats, whatever you're keeping. As predators try to come in and attack your herd, if you're a shepherd, foxes, dogs, coyotes, wolves, whatever would try to come in and attack, if you had a donkey in the pasture, the predators wouldn't come in because you see, they knew the donkey will do some damage. I looked it up, fun fact, did you know that donkeys every year kill more people than plane crashes or sharks? A donkey can be dangerous. Growing up, we knew I grew up in Green Hill. I never owned donkeys, but I had friends that had donkeys. And we knew, don't get around the donkey in the pasture. He will kick you and he will hurt you bad. Stay away from the donkey. Donkeys were used for protection. So as these, these owners gave of their donkey, what were they giving? They were giving their personal use. That Maybe it was their everyday way of getting around. They were giving of their profession. They were giving the thing that protected their livestock. It wasn't just some small thing. You see, a donkey was a very important part of life in the ancient world, first century. A little side note here, as I was researching donkey kind, it was interesting to me that I learned that donkeys are very social animals. If you have donkeys, if you keep donkeys, you can't leave a donkey in a pasture alone. Donkeys are, are very um, emotionally, they will fall into depression and anxiety. They don't do well if they don't have relationship. So typically, if you don't see one donkey, you'll see two. Or you'll see they gotta have a friend, they gotta have a buddy in the pasture. Otherwise, the donkey can't live up to everything that it needs to do. And I just found that it was interesting that I think we're the same way. You can't do life alone. You can try, but you're gonna find yourself alone, depressed, nobody in your corner, nobody fighting for you, and you'll never live up to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish without relationship in your life. So Jesus chose a donkey. He could have chosen anything. Third thing, if you're taking notes, it was interesting to me that in every single gospel account of this story, we're told very specifically that the donkey was tied down. It's interesting as you read this account in all the different gospels, they all... They all tell the same story, but there are little differences. There are little things that they show you different aspects, different viewpoints of this story laying out. But, but see, nothing that is found in Scripture is there by accident. It was all put there for a reason. In every single gospel account, the writers were, were very meticulous to make sure they included this understanding that 
The donkey isn't just out in the pasture and you're going to go get him. The donkey is tied down and Jesus made sure to tell his his apostles, his disciples, when you get there, you've got to untie the donkey because you see that you can't accomplish what God needs for you, what he has for you when you're tied down. And I think as we look at our lives and we try to apply, what does this story mean to us? I think so many of us have have allowed ourselves to be tied down to so many different things. Maybe it's fear. God, you can't use me because of this. Maybe you're you're ashamed of your past and what you've done and where you've been and what you've said. And you you let that fear, you let that shame tie you down to the point that you can't be used for the purposes that God put you here because you're... You're tied down to those past things. For some of you, you're tied down by by greed, selfishness. So many things in this world that you can tie yourself to. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your kids and it's the travel ball and it's the recitals and it's all the things you have. And listen, there's there's nothing wrong with any of those things until, until they become the thing that is tying you down to where you aren't free to accomplish the will and purposes that God's put you here for. And This story is very clear to tell us that before the donkey could be used, the disciples had to untie it. And so I would ask you today, I'm asking you, Lawrenceburg Shoals, what's tying you down? What have you allowed to be that thing that has you wrapped up? Maybe you don't feel like you're good enough. No, I can't do that. Like, you don't know me. I could never sing on that stage. I could never lead that small group. I could never serve those kids because I'm I'm not worthy of it. And what you're letting the enemy do is you're letting him tie you down and stop you from accomplishing the reason God puts you on this earth. The donkey was tied down. And for some of you today, you you aren't serving. You aren't giving God what he's put you here for because you've allowed yourself to be tied down by depression, fear, anxiety, worry, shame, whatever it is for you. God wants to untie you today because you can't accomplish what he wants you to accomplish without it. Number four, if you're taking notes, it's interesting to me that the donkey's owner was committed. Think about the commitment of these owners, right? I already told you, like, in first century ancient Jerusalem, like, the donkey was, it was their, it was their truck. It was their F-150. That's what I drive, F-150. Now, I want you to put yourself in these owners' shoes. Picture this. Again, they're normal, everyday people just going about their lives. And if you remember back in the story, it it wasn't just any old donkey. Scripture was very clear to tell us this was a a brand new, never-been-ridden donkey. So think about this. I'm in my living room. I've been all excited because I've ordered my truck. My dream truck, if I could buy it right now, y'all just need to know, I'm sitting in my living room, I'm looking out my window, and the truck pulls up with the truck on the trailer, and it's my brand new 2022 F-250 Platinum, come on, star white metallic exterior, black onyx leather interior, the 6.7 power stroke diesel 4x4, like this is, this is the truck, brand new, never been driven, I haven't even got to put my butt in the seat yet, right? but it's sitting out there like, that's it. And I'm looking out my window and there are two guys that I do not know, that I've never met, that walk up and they're 
about to get in my truck. Now, I'm sure, like many of you, I would very calmly, casually walk out and be like, hey guys, what you doing on my truck? And per the story, they would say, the Lord needs it. And I'd be like, well, there you go. Have a good day. Think about the commitment. The story doesn't tell us that the disciples were like, hey, the Lord needs it, but don't worry, we're gonna bring it right back. We won't dent it, we won't ding it. It's like, Jesus is gonna have it, so it's gonna be good, but you don't have to worry about your truck. We'll give you a security deposit. We got proof of insurance. Like Your donkey's gonna be taken care of. All we know is they said, we're taking it, God needs it, and the owners are like, okay, cool. The disciples didn't have to twist their arm, didn't have to beg with them, plead with them, didn't have to do some big sales pitch to tell you why you need to give what you have to God so that it can be used for his purposes. There was none of that. They had something that could be used by God, and what does the scriptures tell us they did? They gave it. So we don't know their names, we don't know their professions, but we do know they were people who were committed to their faith, that whatever they had was completely available to be used by God in any way he needed. And see, that's challenging to me because as I look at, at the things I have, if I had a big pile of all my gifts and talent and resources, my time, everything I have. I want you to look at your, think about it. It's all here. It's laid out in front of you. Where would you draw the line when God says, I need this? See, we all have a different line. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you this much. I'll commit to that much because that's my level of commitment to you, God. This is, this is what I'm willing to give, but you don't understand, I work six days a week, Sunday's my only day off, so you want me to serve on my off day? No, that's the line. It's my only off day, I can't serve. Not doing that. Maybe that's your line. Tithing, what is that, are you kidding me? 10%, moving a decimal, like you don't understand how much money I make, you don't know how big that check would be. You want me to get that? Maybe that's your line. All I know is when we look at this story, these people were so committed that they just gave it. There was no begging, pleading, borrowing, stealing. Whatever you need, God, take it. It's yours. They were committed. And I think some of us in this room, some of you watching online or at our campuses today, I think some of us have commitment issues when it comes to Christ. Some of you, you like, it makes you feel better because you signed up to serve and and I'm committed, and then you're supposed to be back in Faith Kids on Sunday morning, but you woke up, and it was raining outside. I probably, uh, you know. So then you get your phone out, and you text your team leader, like, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm not feeling great. I'm probably not going to be there today. Right? So you commit, and then you just leave them hanging with however many of your hellion kids are back there right now. If that hurts your feelings, guess what? You're probably the one that's called in because you broke a commitment. These owners were committed. How committed are you? Would you give your brand new, never been ridden vehicle if that's what God demanded from you? Last thought, running out of time. This one might be a little controversial, but it's interesting to me as I as I read through this story, and it just glared out at me at the page. It's that Jesus needs your ass. 
right? That's the King James Version, so if you didn't want to write that in your notes, you can write number five. Jesus needed the donkey. And see, that's controversial, not because of the word, but think about this idea that Jesus needs me. Jesus needs what I have. You don't understand, Adam, because we sing these songs and y'all talk about this idea that God's all powerful. God can do anything. God don't need me. And in one way, you're exactly correct. He is almighty. He is all knowing. He is all powerful. He can do anything he wants, whenever he wants. And you have no say in it. And you have no part to play in it. That is absolutely true on one side of the coin. But then as you dive into scripture and you see how it actually plays out in our world today, what you see is that for whatever reason, God could do it without you. But what we see in scripture is that he's not going to. See, God, last thing, God in his limitless power has chosen to limit his power. And for whatever reason, He's chosen to depend on you. He's chosen to depend on me. And it's in that limitation that we see. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says that since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. God, you... I know you're the coach in the box and I know you're calling the plays, but trust me, if you're depending on me and my broken, messed up, hypocritical self, I'm the worst person that could be standing on this stage. You think this is the play? Adam, you're gonna stand up and preach a message and lives are gonna be changed. I'm like, this is the dumbest play you could have called. And he says, yeah, but I'm gonna use the foolishness of preaching because that's how I'm gonna move in the world. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. For whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, we don't know why God chose to lay out this game plan of salvation the way he did. He absolutely, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, he could have just snapped his fingers and complete forgiveness been made available. Jesus did not have to come and become a human like us. He didn't have to become man. He didn't have to live a perfect life. He didn't have to die. Could God have made a way for us to be completely reconciled back to him without any of that having to happen? Absolutely he could. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But for some reason, that wasn't the game plan. Your loved ones, your family members who are struggling with brokenness and addiction, living in bondage of depression and fear and anxiety, running complete opposite direction of what God would have for their life. God could absolutely go get them. And like little robots, he could push a button and he could make them turn back and he could make them love him and follow him. But guess what? He's not going to. Because he said, you are my hands and you are my feet 
And I'm giving you the job because I need you to go do it. Scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He doesn't say, but don't worry, I can bring in the harvest without you. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what you need to do is pray for more workers. See, you're the concession stand. And you may not get celebrated. People may not know your name. They won't sing songs about you. Who knows? But here's what I do know. You play a pivotal part in the game plan that God has laid out to reach your friends and your family, to save your kids and your spouse. You have a part to play. And if you choose not to do it, then the game plan won't work. And one day, scripture tells us you'll stand before the coach who go, why'd you run that play? Why'd you run that route? You knew what I told you to do. You were wide open over here. And we'll get to stand before him and be like, yeah, well, I thought better. I th- had commitment issues, coach. I, I couldn't give that thing that you needed me to give. He's gonna say, but I needed you to. That was the game. That was the play. You're the concession stand workers. And so if you're here, and you're already serving and you are giving of yourself and your time, your talents, your treasures. Truly, I can't recognize every single one of you by name, but I wish I could. Thank you. Thank you for giving and serving the way you do because you're making an eternal difference. But if you're here and you're not, if you're watching online and you're not giving or serving, the question is why? You have gifts and talents and abilities Scripture says that God has preordained opportunities for you to use those gifts and talents and abilities and there's plays he's called you to run and we let ourselves get tied down and we don't, we don't do what we're supposed to do and I'm here to tell you, you'll never see the victories, you'll never see the wins until you step up. God needs you to do your part and when we do our broken little part, He steps in and he does the rest and ultimately lives and eternity is changed. It's game day. It's time for some of y'all to step up, run the play that's called and we'll celebrate and we'll give him the glory for it. Father, thank you for today, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that for whatever reason, you in your perfect deity, God, you are everything, the beginning and the end, but you choose to use a broken people like us who have no business serving you, no business worshiping you, no business preaching your word, God. You choose to use us in a way that we get to be a part of that life change. We get to be a part of your winning game plan. And we thank you and we celebrate you for that. In Jesus' name.